Alan Noble published a book recently called You Are Not Your Own. He begins the book like this. Even as our standard of living in the West, that's Western culture, continues to rise, our quality of life doesn't. While our material well-being has improved in some important ways, judged by many of the qualities that truly make life worth living, meaning, relationships, love, purpose, beauty, the modern world is sick. Christians in America are carriers of contemporary disease too. These ills are grounded in a particular understanding of what it means to be human. Now we are told we are each our own. We belong to ourselves. Hence, unlimited desire and consumption always leaves us exhausted and empty. End of quote. Here we are, as an American culture, what is the remedy? We are passing into a time when we have never been more fearful and anxious as a people. We are experiencing the collective disease of reality, what Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, called the anxiety of existence. Just to live in a broken world creates anxiety that we feel. What's the remedy? We're breaking up. We're breaking down as a people. Molten stress is burning through to the core of our soul. The Centers for Disease Control tracked the use of mental health pharmaceuticals in America from 2011 to 2014. Old statistics, pre-pandemic statistics. We are told that the issues are more challenging now than they've ever been. During that three-year period, 12.7%, that's one out of every eight people in America, were prescribed mental health, pharmaceuticals. That comes in the midst of, in the United States of America today, life expectancy is going down. Birth rates are plummeting. There's a large segment of our society that actually is increasingly finding life unbearable. abuse of prescription medication, the opioid epidemic, part of the reason why the life expectancy in America is going down is because of the number of people after they turn 50 who are taking their own life. The kingdoms of this world are not working. That's an open secret. It's not going well for humanity. Don't you think the world 
needs a heavy dose of the kingdom of God. What the Apostle Paul said in Romans 14, 17 was made up of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. At the top of the list of what we lack are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The great news this morning from the Word of God is that Jesus Christ has come. And when He came, He put up another window through which you and I could see the glory of the kingdom of God. Remember, that's a kingdom that is both already and not yet. He begins his ministry in the Gospel of Mark. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, already here in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, that kingdom is yet coming someday. The Apostle Paul looked forward to it, and do we not look forward to it as well? Someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. That day is coming. Or as Handel, lifting those words from the book of Revelation, wrote, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. We have a lot to look forward to. There is a Savior and Jesus Christ offers hope Life and vitality to everyone who will believe. In fact, Jesus himself is life. Jesus himself is hope. Come with me to Luke chapter 8 this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. And let's look through another window and see the glory of the kingdom of God in studying these miracles of Christ. Now Luke, as we come into Luke chapter 8, in this first century history, puts four miracle narratives together, four miracle stories together. There's first, they get out on the sea, they face a storm, they think they're going to die, and Jesus stills the storm, 8, 22 through 25. Then, as soon as they get to shore, they meet, 8, Luke 8, 26, they meet a man troubled, dominated by the demonic world. And Jesus brings him to peace. Uh, they're sent out of town. And as Jesus is going along, the woman suffering from a perpetual issue of blood, debilitated, believes that if she just touches the hem of his garment, she'll be made whole. And she does while he's on his way to face Jairus' daughter's illness, she dies. Jesus gets there and raises her. And it's an extraordinary bang, 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 four miracles, four stories, some of which we'll come back to. Let me read Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they also sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, 
He cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Hear the word of the Lord. Now before I begin this morning, I want to offer a disclaimer, and it's important to me that you hear this clear through. The disclaimer has two parts. Number one, not all mental health issues are demonic. It's important to understand. As I talk about this, allude to issues that we face, it's important that you hear me say not all mental health issues are demonic. Now, I do not use as my Bible the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. What are we on? Version 5 now, version 7, whatever we're on. I, I don't use that. Nor do I believe every disorder that has been identified is a disorder. I do believe there is mental illness. In fact, I find it a measure of a mystery. The world is broken. And we face broken things in our spirit. The second thing I want to say, and it's important that you hear this, is not all prescription medicines are bad. My encouragement to you is if you are on any medication, talk to your doctor about it. Understand why it is being prescribed, what it is supposed to do, and understand its side effects. That's my encouragement to you. As you listen through this message, think about those two things as we go through. 
This morning, I want to give four answers to one question. And it's about Jesus. And each of the answers will help us understand Jesus and live for Jesus. What do we learn about Jesus in this passage? Now, there's a vibe in this passage that goes like this. If you look at Luke 4.36, you can feel the vibe in the book of Luke. Jesus teaches what happens, Luke 4.36. They're all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. What is this with Jesus? Then you get to chapter 8 and verse 25. Jesus settles the storm down. They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who is this? Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they Obey him. You get to chapter 9, verses 18 and 20, which is where Luke is going with these four stories juxtaposed next to each other. He gets to this important conversation where Jesus says, all right, who do people say that I am? All right, here's the real question. Who do you say that I am? By, by the way, that question matters for all time and eternity. And I'm asking it of you this morning. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is. You're seated in a room with many folks who have already, in their own spiritual journey, come to recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ as the one who, at the cross of Calvary, died on the cross bearing our guilt and sin and hell upon himself. So that when we, by recognizing our sin before a God who is holy and receiving Jesus Christ into our life, we've come to have life. We've come to be forgiven. We've come to have hope. And it's a life and a forgiveness and a hope that we live with and a life and a forgiveness and a hope that we die with. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning? Who do you say Jesus is? If you could benefit by an appointment at your convenience this week to understand more about what it means to receive Christ as your Savior, how we would be eager to serve you in that way. So what do we learn about Jesus in this passage? We learn four things. Number one, Jesus goes out of his way to tenderly seek us out at our point of need. This passage a literal passage on to Gerasenes, it starts in verse 22 of chapter 8. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Jesus' instructions. They follow instructions. By the way, it's for another message, but as they're following instructions, they run into trouble. Have you ever felt like, hey, wait a minute, God, you told me to go here, and I'm giving my dead level best to yield myself to you in obedience, and I'm running into a storm. But in the midst of the storm, they saw a side of Jesus they couldn't see without the storm. And life's point is to know and understand God revealed in Christ. So this is a part of the drill. It's not something bad, it's something good, because in the midst of our weakness, he shows us his strength. Jesus said, let's get in a boat and go to the other side. 
Where are they headed? They're headed over to Gerasenes. Now, Gerasenes is on the southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. You remember the Sea of Galilee is like a little bowl, and there's uh, mountains all around. And they're not huge rocky mountains. They're hilly mountains, more Appalachian mountains in size than anything. But they go up, and on the southeast side, it sweeps up, and it's like rocky crag mountains that have a lot of tunnels and, and uh, caves in it. So it became an archetypical place where people were buried. Now, we know from history and literature that uh, there were Gentiles in that city, as well as Jewish people in this region. They, the, the Gentiles like to come there for holiday, go there for vacation. We know that from the Roman Empire and writings and that. But we don't know a lot about the area. In fact, we, we don't know much about this farmer. Uh, some guy had a pretty good hog operation here. Now, one could argue, certainly from the word of God, that it wasn't very kosher. Uh, but he had a big hog operation. In fact, it says there are many pigs. It wasn't a small operation. All pig farms are fascinating. Have you ever visited a pig farm? Uh, the Farren House is really a loud place. It's fascinating to watch them bring their young along after they've had their uh, litters. Uh, but this is a pretty big hog operation. Now, we don't know whether it was a Jewish guy with, who was just running away from the law of God and this uncleanness declared with the pigs, and he had the operation, or it was a Gentile guy. By the way, the fact that they ran off the cliff as Christ sends the spirits into the herd has created an ethical problem for some when it comes to Jesus. Aha! Look! There's a famous pastor in America whose son is uh, in rebellion against God and makes TikTok videos mocking Christianity. And this is one of his famous TikTok videos. Because he argues, what in the world is Jesus doing uh, hurting this farmer? Why, well, he took down in one afternoon the economic vitality of the farmer. And Jesus is, therefore, he argues, wrong. By the way, in the Bible, it says, in him was no sin. And if you created everything that is, and if you sustain everything that is, including us, by your grace, you're sovereign over it and have a right to do whatever you want with what belongs to you. It could have been a Jewish farmer who was doing what he ought not do and raising the pig. By the way, who would have bought them unless there were so many Gentiles in the area that he sold a lot of pork to the uh, people? But, uh, and it also, in that sense, would have been a great rebuke. Here's a guy over here in this quiet place, kind of a little bit forsaken. He's got his hog herd, and uh, Jesus rearranged the business plan of one afternoon. But please don't miss that Jesus, who it is said of him in Luke 5.22 and in John 2.25, Jesus knew what was in their hearts. So it stands to reason that as Jesus is going over there, by the way, they face an obstacle in getting there. How many of us would have said, hey, there's a storm. Whatever we're doing, we're not going there. We're going to turn around and go back. No, Jesus surmounts a storm to keep the itinerary to get to this place. But here's the point. There's one reason why he went there. 
It's this man and his need. The only reason why he's there is to reach for this man. He goes out of his way. Hey, let's go there. By the way, it's for, as Luke has the account, one man. So Jesus leaves, changes the itinerary, goes to a place. Verse 37, he knows they're going to reject him. He knows what's in their hearts. But the need compelled Jesus to go after him. You talk about leaving the 90 and 9 and going after the 1. Here it is incarnate in Jesus Christ. So, Eric, what does that mean? It means this. Jesus goes out of his way to tenderly seek us out at our point of need. I love the omniscience of God. He knows all of you intimately and has already this morning inventoried the thoughts of your mind and heart. Isn't that extraordinary? That's amazing. He knows those of you who are sitting here hurting. He knows those of you who are sitting here in great need. God has shown me the darkness of my heart by being in situations before where somebody will have a need that is breaking out. It's like I'm like one of those guys in Luke 15. Uh, you know, I'm tired. I, I, I'm, I'm going to get over here on the side of the road. Let somebody else take care of that the issue that's breaking out. I've just, I've had enough, you know. That's, that's on somebody else. That's not Jesus. In fact, he goes all the way, surmounts a storm to face the guy and He's coming for you. He couldn't be more sensitive to what you are facing this morning, nor more compassionately disposed, and here's the coolest part, nor more sufficient in his ability to face with you what you're facing and resolve it in a way that would please our Lord. What a Savior. What a Savior. Now this man's issue was he had no peace. His lack of peace was stimulated by what had to be the stress and anxiety of being oppressed demonically. But Jesus went all the way knowing that the crowd wouldn't respond, but this man had a need, and he got next to him and met his need. This great man's great need was met by a great Savior. Jesus is moving toward us today. This story is archetypical Jesus. We've never met on a Sunday that we didn't meet hidden in plain sight. In fact, they, they look fine. That there were not people who were hanging by a thread. They came in and sat down. Even some who, as they hung by a thread and sat down, were saying to themselves, you know, I'm going to give this, I'll give it another shot but I'm just about at the end of my stick. I want you to know Jesus is moving toward you. And I love that about Jesus. Second thing we learned about Jesus is Jesus spares nothing to liberate us from despair and evil. Look at verse 27, look at verse 20, 33 and verse 35. You see, our sin, because we weren't built for sin, we were built for communion with God, 
our sin and indulgence is degrading to our humanity and debilitating to us. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Man was made to run on God as a gasoline engine was made to run on gasoline. When you put another source for fuel other than gasoline, the engine is not going to run right because it wasn't designed to run on anything but gasoline. I love that analogy. Because we are sputtering about as a culture because we're trying to run on everything else. And then our indulgence breaks us down and breaks us apart. I've watched adultery break men and women in half. I've wept with men and women. I've watched pornography destroy trust and smash reasonable, healthy intimacy in marriage. I've watched gambling debt destroy a man's health. I've been in mental wards after Despair led to suicide attempts. Sin is degrading and dehumanizing. I had a gay friend in Dallas that I worked with for four years. We were leaving town. And I wanted to have another conversation in person about Jesus and gospel life and got some literature he invited me to a restaurant. Andy and I went. I knew the address. It was right in the middle of where a lot of homosexual people in Dallas live. But I left that restaurant very sad because of what I viewed there. And please, I'm not singling out anything. I've told you about adultery. I've told you about pornography. I've... Sin just degrades us. It's dehumanizing. We live in a very hookup culture. There are people there who were very much uh, ready for all hookups and dressing the part. But it it was humanity away from the Garden of Eden going its own way. It is sad. Verse 27, a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Isn't it interesting that in the darkness, the blackness of the cemetery that can only celebrate death, that's where he lived. He lived on death's door, but he wanted to. Verse 33, the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 35, they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. By the way, here's an illustration of the Bible's influence on English, English language and phrases that come into our speech. Clothed and in his right mind comes from this miracle story in the book of Luke. 
The before and after picture is just striking, is it not? A naked, lunatic, crazy man living among the cemetery, tombs, terrorizing people. Sitting next to Jesus in a set of clothes, enjoying Jesus' company, it was stunning to behold. It's about transformation. R.C. Sproul said, this is what the restoration of humanity is all about. So when you look out this window, Eric, what do you see looking at this window, looking at this miracle? What you see is restored humanity in Jesus Christ. You see the after, the results of the grace of God swallowing up our indulgence, the grace of God swallowing up evil, the grace of God sending everything away from our life that would debilitate us. And there he is, clothed and in his right mind. Two things that never had characterized this guy's life in recent history. Now, please note that their best efforts are, and here's what the text records, bound him with shackles and chains. I know what we'll do. We'll restrain him. That was the best the world had to offer. By the way, that remedy didn't work. When he would act out in superhuman strength, he would just break the bonds and he would leave. Please note, the world has no cure for what is presently going on. The U.S. government, you know, no, in the United States, we spend, rather, $713 billion a year on mental health. That's all the services of mental health, including addiction. Now, there's only 331 million of us in America, that means that we spend, do the math, on average, $2,160 on every man and woman and boy and girl in America. We spend that annually in mental health services. I ask you, is it helping? Now, please note. Jesus very tenderly dealt with this man. He asked him his name. What is your name? Some make the argument that what he was doing was he was helping that man recognize how dominated he was by evil. And even by, come on, and he was so dominated that the personages had taken over his personality and began to speak through him. But when Jesus asked him his name, it was more than just, hey, what's your name? It was to help tenderly that man recognize where he actually was and where he needed to be. But what happens is th there's a penalty in football called un personal foul, I forget the signal, unnecessary roughness. Uh, that is, if a guy's tackled and he's already down, well, you're not allowed to run over and jump on the pile and tackle them, they'll call a penalty on you. They'll throw a flag, penalize you, and you get some yards against you. There's a sense in which what happens in our indulgence, as we make indulgence habits in our life, then evil piles on, but nobody's calling a penalty on evil. And so 
all of us are sinners in need of the grace of God, beginning with me. It's what's so glorious about Jesus. What happens is then we sin, we experience guilt, we have shame, we get anger, angry, we get bitter, we experience malice, we seek revenge, we have pride, we have regret. We sow to these areas of the flesh and enter the flesh, reap corruption, and things start adding up on us. And at some level, it begins to break down how we think and our personal peace. And we're all trying to figure out how to exist. This is where our sin has brought us. Alan Noble, who's an English professor at Oklahoma Baptist University, goes on to say in his book, You Are Not Your Own, this is how we behave to cope. Some drink. Some take prescription antidepressants or stimulants or anti-anxiety medicines. Some eat. Some binge watch friends. Some work more. Some work out more. Some cut themselves. Some immerse themselves in the news. Some immerse themselves in porn. Some play video games. Some shop. Some sleep. Some become K-pop stands. Some scroll endlessly through Instagram. Some post endlessly on Twitter. Some argue online. Some obsess about their health. Some obsess about the environment. Some protest online. Some protest to be famous online. Some travel. Some attempt suicide. Some attempt self-improvement. Some abuse people. Some join extremist movements. Some join multi-level marketing programs. Some take up yoga. Some take up gambling. Some participate in extreme sports. Some participate in illicit romance. Some daydream about being diagnosed with a disease that will justify their mediocrity. Some invest in self-care. Some invest in bitcoins. Some discover a new identity. Some modify their bodies. Some modify their diet. Some embrace victimhood. Some embrace mocking victimhood. Self-medicating is the norm in our society because if we don't medicate, we're not sure we can get through the day. Now, as evil piles on in the midst of our indulgence, don't forget verse 32. I love verse 32 here. I underlined it in my text, actually. In verse 32 it mentions that Jesus gave them permission. (laughs) That the evil ones could only act as Christ would give them permission to act. So he gave them permission. This is like Job 1, where Satan has to get a permission slip from God to uh, mess with Job. And all the while, God is getting the greater glory, even using evil to achieve his ends. What a Savior. What a glory. Now, don't forget where Jesus takes this man. It's where he wants to take us. Verse 36, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. That's an interesting translation of that word. It's the word saved. He was delivered. One of the questions we have not answered for our children, nor have answered for our culture, is what are we saved from? We're better at asking, hey, are you saved? My grandpa, he was a fire-breathing preacher. He's always asking, are you saved? Remember, I took a guy over, working with a young man who was troubled, and 
Uh, we were driving around, decided to stop in to Grandpa's. He's working on his motorcycle in the garage, and I had called my Grandpa ahead of time, tipped him off. And I said, Grandpa, you know, let's be gracious. I'd like to have you meet this kid. I'm spending some time with him, trying to encourage him. He said, okay. So we walk in the garage. I said, hey, Grandpa, this is Chip. Hey, Chip, this is my Grandpa. Grandpa looked up, and he said, are you saved, boy? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that wasn't too good of a start there, you know. <laughs> saved from What? Saved from what? Charles Ryrie said, instead of being naked, he was clothed. Instead of raging, he was in his right mind. Instead of wandering, he was settled. The change the Savior brought involved his morals, his minds, his activities. We need Jesus. Now, I've told you about the restaurant in Dallas that I went to at the Andy, reaching for my friend. Let me tell you another story of another encounter. Growing up, our oldest son, I actually don't remember how it started, but he started listening to Pacific Garden Mission's unshackled testimonies as a, as a boy. He was kind of fascinated with those stories, with all the sound effects and that. So he'd listen to them, and he, 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 he liked them. And so we had listened to him once in a while, and we were always scouring the earth to try to figure out what we could do with our children that would help their faith to develop and grow. And so we thought, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go to Chicago, to Pacific Garden Mission, and be there when they record a program live. And so one Saturday, we went. I'll never forget it. We went there, and, you know, here's a few guests, but it's just the patrons for the Pacific Garden Mission. The street people from Chicago. They all file in. We sat down. And with live actors, they recorded the episode. And it was great. And Caleb was so excited. And so we finished. They finished. And um, you could get a tour of the Pacific Garden Mission and their ministry. And um, so we said, hey, that sounds good. We'll, we'll do it. And we were introduced to a guy named Lamont. I'll always remember. Lamont had more joy that afternoon than I've had for most of my life. It was a real insult, you know. He was so happy to be restored in Christ. Lamont had hit the bottom, scraped on the bottom for a while, and ran into the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he was showing us around the various sectors of the ministry there, Pacific Garden Mission, but he embodied the glory of the gospel and what happens when it makes us brand new. Seneca read it, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passing away. Behold, the new has come. I'll never forget Lamont. And Lamont reminds me that Jesus isn't in the business of getting in the boat and rolling up on the shore and getting out of the boat and meeting our deepest needs and satisfying our lives. Now, just briefly, think with me about verse 37. And it's the third thing we learn about Jesus. Not everyone welcomes the salvation God sent Jesus to bring. This is important. 
We come one week after the mission conference. We say, hey, yeah, we're, we're fired up. We're going to share Jesus with others. Well, here's what we must understand. Verse 37. Fear seized them. And they asked Jesus to leave. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. We can become discouraged mixing it up with a culture as we seek to make Christ known. This is one of the things that can discourage us. People not interested in the gospel. It tempers our expectation. And by the way, doesn't it play out how Jesus told us it would play out in Matthew 7? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are on that road. Narrow is the way that lead to life. Few there be that find it. We should not be surprised that there was only one person who was responsive in Gerasenes. It was this man. It was this man. Now, with this thought, don't ever forget the thief on the cross. At one point, there are two mocking Jesus, but that changes. About halfway through, he says, hey, look, he, we're getting what we deserve, and he's not. And then the last thing he says is, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Never give up. But don't be stunningly shocked if they're not interested. They weren't interested in Jesus. But the masses, there was only one guy in this whole area. And Jesus went for him, and he responded. Let's hang in there. Keep going. Andre Crouch uh, recorded a cool song before he died. Tell them, even if they don't believe you, tell them for me. Tell them. Tell them that I love them. Tell them that I came to let them go. Stay at it is what he's saying. Are you discouraged in sharing? Have you given up? Lastly, the fourth thing is Jesus sends us in to where we do life to show and tell of his power to save. Verse 36, the demon-possessed man had been healed. That word healed is the word saved. He was saved, delivered by Jesus. Verse 39, he begged that he might be with them. He thought, well, what I need to do is I need to take off with the disciple band and I'll become one of these itinerant preacher guys. You know what Jesus told him to do? No, don't come with us. Verse 39, return to your home and declare how, what, how much God has done for you. Which is most effective? House to house, cold calling in a neighborhood where we do not live? Or next door, engagement, where we do live? Called a guy last night. And uh, I took him out of... Uh, a blow-up thing he had going in his yard. And the neighbor's kids were there. And he was so excited to be interacting with the family just for the opportunity in a natural setting on the same street to take the chains down toward the goal line another few yards and just spend some more time with people who have not yet come to follow Jesus. Our greatest influence and leverage is around those who know us and who are around us. By the way, the greatest tragedy of our hypocrisy comes by those who are around us and who know us. This is a two-edged sword. 
Oh, I get it, Eric. He became a missionary. By the way, that word's not in the Bible. If you follow Jesus, we're all in this together, seeking to make him known. That's a responsibility of all of us. In fact, Jesus said, no, don't come with me. What? I thought Jesus wanted people to sign up on, you know, follow. He said, go home. In your family. Where you live, in your neighborhood. Where you work, in your friendship circle. Make them known. Now, next Sunday morning, there's an insert in a bulletin this morning. Next Sunday morning, Lee Strobel's little book, The Case for Easter, will give us the opportunity to have gospel conversations as we head toward Easter. In fact, there was a little blurb about a Easter Sunday coming up April 17th, and then there's a, an, uh, a blurb about Calvary's Children's Day, April 24th, the week after Easter. Uh, we'll look forward to those two days. That'll be put in a book. There'll be a thousand of them available next week. What are they for, Eric? They're for us to go home in our spheres of influence and in attractive, winsome gospel conversations. Give Strobel's book on the case for the resurrection. Invite people to be with us on those days. It's called zoocosis. You see it when you stare at the lion at the zoo. You're just pacing around in his cage. What in the world? How would you like that life? It's not normal life for a lion, is it? It's a phenomenon of the existence for zoo animals. They pace back and forth in their cages. The technical term, $6 term, is uh, stereotypes, repetitive invariant behavioral patterns with no obvious goal or function. Dear ones, this is modern life. And it's ripping us apart. And people have no reason for living. Our habitat apart from Christ does not feel right. It's artificial. This world we've constructed and expressive individualism, it's ripping us apart. Our sinful indulgence is killing us. Evil is piling on. What did we expect? The wages of sin is death. We're deranged and coming apart. Enter Jesus Christ. He comes ashore and with his entrance brings hope. Evil flees. Life breaks out. There is a savior. Evil has been overcome. Now there is hope and life and vitality. Oh, be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. And let's celebrate this life before a watching world. Let's pray. Father, you know every heart here this morning. There's something exceedingly attractive about this man in Gerasenes sitting next to Jesus, clothed in his right mind. You're restoring the world through your son, Jesus. Help us to be agents of that restoration and reconciliation by sharing Jesus with others. For those who are here this morning, Lord, feeling that as if their world is coming apart, remind them that you're moving toward them to meet them. 
for the only peace in life is knowing Christ meted out on us, that deep shalom, peace with our past, peace with our present, peace with our future, peace with eternity, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that's ours in him. Staring out this window, we can scarcely imagine what it will be like. And until then, help us be an accurate billboard, those of us who know you and live like it's true. Now work in our midst, Lord, as we close.